evening, Kangasu. Save Mornington Peninsula from me and you. Welcome. This podcast is coming to you from Down Under, or more specifically, Bunurong Country. That's right at the bottom of mainland Australia, just above Tassie. Our little portion of Bunurong Country is called the Mornington Peninsula, which is part of the growing Melbourne city sprawl. The Mornington Peninsula is where the bush meets the bay, and it has rich biodiversity. But, as with any idyllic seaside spot, That biodiversity is under threat from human interference. This podcast will explore the wildlife and environment on the Mornington Peninsula. We'll take a look at how we can best protect what is left and minimise future threats. We hope you stick around. Hello. Today we discuss birds on the peninsula with local ornithologist Larry Wakefield. Welcome, Larry. Thank you. Uh, You've always been interested in birds, like all your life? Uh, pretty well, although I didn't really get into it seriously until I retired. Yeah, and then you joined the Bird Observers Club of Australia. As it was, yeah. And uh, you got then involved with the Peninsula Local Club? When I, I decided I had enough city living, yeah. I thought I'd come down oh, so to the Peninsula. Oh, so you moved down to the Peninsula. Yeah. yeah, and I joined the local branch Yeah, when I came down here. Yeah. yeah. And um, I actually follow them on Facebook and they do a lot of great posts. And It's interesting when you see, like, pictures on Facebook and you see these really good pictures of birds which you know you can't capture on your phone. They're really close up. There's, a, a, say, a specialist group, if you like, of people who like to take uh, photos of birds. Yeah. And uh, they Are you in that like, group? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, as I said, it's another... Yeah, another lot, lot of strange people that do that. Sort of thing. <laughs> but but that being said, nowadays um, even the f- um, cameras now have got to the stage where I think by the time you get into a new generation of mobile phones, you'll find you'll be able to take good photos even with a mobile phone. How do well, they get d- these great photos? Yeah, digital photography has uh, revolutionised uh, <clears throat> bird photography, so you can take. Umpteen dozen, like I went out on what they call a pelagic trip, which is one where you go and have a look at the seabirds offshore. You know, you go out on a launch and oh, yeah. have yep. to go to the edge of the continental shelf and then you lay where out. Where did you do this from? Uh, Port Ferry was my oh, first wow. trip. Yep. And uh, when you go out there, you go out to the continental it's edge. About 30K or something, is it? Or it is takes it? about two to three hours. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then you spend uh, some hours out there and then two to three hours back in. And then they lay out um, what they call burley yep. in the sea and that attracts the um, pelagic birds in. And on that boat, most of the guys there were actually taking photos and they were taking hundreds of photos. The guys had special packs where they could uh, load up and then change out and put another uh, memory card in and all the rest of it. And they said, why are you doing all these um all these pictures. He said, well, we take the just take a whole series of photos because there might be one rare bird that you don't pick up uh, visually. Oh. Yeah. And so you get they go home, load it up into their uh, computer and then spend hours going through and finding out whether there was a special bird there. Yeah. But you do the bird data of the local local bird data, is it? Yeah, yeah. What we do uh, with the uh, 
branch of uh, BirdLife Australia now is um, we're encouraged to um, register our outings and put them into BirdLife database, which is called Bird Data. And in fact, uh, anybody who joins up uh, Birds Australia should uh, also be encouraged to do that as well. It's relatively straightforward to do nowadays. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. And and you say so you act, you do it on behalf of a group of people, though, do you? Yeah, yep. and on behalf of the branch. So we have two monthly outings. Outings, yeah. Uh, one on the second Wednesday and one on the third Sunday, mm-hmm. and. Um, the lists are uh, sent through to me and, and I load it up just about. I mean, the leaders could do it, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's your interest too, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So because you mentioned too that you've um, actually had a tally, well, you can say, what's your tally of uh, your life tally of birds? Oh, well, that, what the, in bird parlance is called a lifer. Lifer, yeah. A bird, if you see a new bird, it's a lifer. Yeah. And then you have a lifer list. That's right. So, so what's your tally? If my it's not tally is about. Last. What's your pin number, by the way? <laughs> it's about uh, six hundred and two. Six hundred and two. So you're in the six hundred club. I'm in the six hundred club. Although I, that's... I think I'm over a thousand. Oh, you I'm counting the same bird the whole time, though. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, but it's uh, it's reasonably uh, with a bit of dedicated effort, you can get to six hundred in Australia. After all, there are. I don't know, 700 and something species. And in fact, nowadays, um, it's the 700 club, which is more prestigious. Well, I think 600 is really prestigious. You obviously <laughs> have to travel to all states to do that, don't you? You have to go all over Australia to do that, yes. Including Tasmania. Including Tasmania and... Lord Howe Island? <laughs> yes, Lord Howe Island, yes. <laughs> Brilliant. And so of that uh, 602... I'm not going to ask what's your favourite five, but what is like your Mornington Peninsula? I've seen all the birds species-wise that you could see except for one which is very elusive and uh, oh. it's 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 in uh, Hastings at the moment. Oh, is this the swift, the orange parrot? Oh, the orange belly parrot, parrot? Yeah. is... Because um, that's where that net is around there, isn't it? No, well, they they used to. They oh, used okay. I got a half right. I'm happy with that. <laughs> they well now, that's another story again. I mean, there, there has been this um, uh, program to uh, raise the numbers of orange-bellied parrots. It's quite a story that's gone on for decades, mm. and in recent uh, years they've had uh, a lot of success. The numbers are gradually rising again. They almost they got down to basically one breeding female in the wild left. Oh, right? dear. That's they, as bad as large as you can get, isn't it? Just about. <laughs> and then so they started a captive breeding program and that's actually that's really worked. Worked. They're up to, I think I read they had um, this year back to uh, Melaleuca in um, southwest uh, Tasmania. They've got back up to 50 mm. birds back again. So they come... From Tasmania, they breed in Tasmania, and then in the winter time, okay. they come to the uh, southern coast of Australia. And and was it just habitat loss? Um, it's a difficult one to say, but that's what's generally been ascribed: is that uh, you have a lot of the coastal areas have been um, lost to the mm. to what they want here. And so. You mentioned there was one bird. You're going to mention, tell us, put us out of our misery, what this bird is that you haven't seen. Well, it's a, again a relatively rare one. It's called a Lewin's rail. 
Uh-huh. Well, they're like ducks, aren't they? No, 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 no. The, <laughs> the, the, there's a, the, there's a group. Uh, you've got you, you've got all your ducks, right? Yeah. They've got uh, webbed feet, okay, yeah. and then there's uh, the crakes and rails, which are again birds that like to live in uh, wetland areas, uh, but they don't have any webbing between there. But they're very secretive and uh, flightless. No, no, they okay. fly. Because we have a duck in our dam that does not. It's always you can sneak up on a little black one, and it's like a little. I imagine it's similar to that, but it won't fly off. It just swims around into the reeds and hides. A black. It's like a little. You sure it's a duck? No, no, no. I'm not sure it's a duck because I can never get close to it to have so a good look. But it's always, it's always there. Oh, well, I must come and have a look. And yeah, see have a look. Yeah. <laughs> Part two, we'll find out. It could be the one thing you, the missing one. <laughs> um, so the other interesting thing before we move on to our subject of Mornington Peninsula is that, um, well, two more things. One is is that you're friends of the hooded plover. Is that some sort of political group or what's that? <laughs> there, well, there, there are friends groups all over the place. I mean, people who are interested in their natural environment and their habitat and uh, trying to preserve the habitat will join together and make a friends group. Yep. So you can have uh, friends groups of birds yep. or you can have friends groups of uh, plants and yep. all the rest of all friends groups of animals. And, and why did you... Ch- well, choose the plover. Um, <clears throat> I was involved with uh, that group in the in its early days down here when they were getting together, and there was a concern about yeah. it because the hooded plover is a very very unusual bird. Um, it lives on the exposed coast of the southern Australia, and it has this unusual habit of making its nests just above high water mark on surf coasts or in the dunes behind. and uh, so very vulnerable. Extremely vulnerable to uh, the nests being washed away or being predated by whatever. Yeah. And um, their success rate is, uh, in terms of reproduction, is relatively low. But they do continue to survive in, uh, in small numbers and... In our area down here on the peninsula, one of the main concerns that uh, the friends groups has had is to do with um, making sure that the uh, chicks don't get uh, predated on or interfered with by dogs on beaches or horses on beaches or whatever. Well, so, I, I, someone I know that's in maybe the same group um, said that they actually were on guard at certain times of the year and they actually had altercations with dog owners letting the dog off the leash or not, you know, telling him to put him back on the leash. Well, in the area where you've got parks, Victoria has got uh, coastal reserves all along the southern coast and in those areas there's meant to be no dogs on beaches. Yeah. But, of course, that's a difficult thing to patrol and police and so on. Mm. But um, mm. the, the message is gradually getting across and uh, by and large it's... Uh, People are beginning to become aware just through education and that sort of thing. Well, I think aware. the morning to council are, are pretty good at that part of it, aren't they? You do see signs up and well, Parks Victoria also and been, Parks Victoria. Uh, I noticed down at Shoreham there they've put signs up saying dogs aren't allowed through the caravan parks to get to their the beaches. So that's they're sort correct, of locking yeah. up whole beaches in a way. Yeah, that's so good. Well, it, it's only during the breeding season when this is really uh, important uh, and. Again, through uh, signage and the like, it does help. 
Mm. And by and large, people do like to see things survive and carry on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Larry, the final thing was you were editor of a, a book, Where to Find Birds Around Frankston in the Morning Peninsula. Now, I must admit, you know, Frankston's lucky to get a special mention there. <laughs> That's only because they were a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> So edition two might just be Mornington Peninsula. That's right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Um, So um, is this book, is it still relevant? Does it need updating? Well, it's it's such an important book for the Mornington Peninsula. I mean, it's the cornerstone of birds on the peninsula. Well, it's actually a a guide to where you can go and look for and, and observe birds. So it's, you know, this, you go to this reserve and walk around this track and these are the types of birds you'll see and so on. That's essentially it's that sort of book. There's a few hints on how to get started on bird watching and, and, and the like as well and conservation issues and that sort of thing. But um, What do you feel about the seasonal side of things? Like if you read a book and it says, because I've had this happen, you know, gone on a holiday and it says go to, you know, we went up to Raja Ampat, West Papua around there, and you see the birds of paradise and that, but not when we're, you know, and you'll see manta rays, not when we were there. <laughs> and when you get there, they say, oh, no, you never see them this time of year. And you think, oh, I wish I'd known that. Well, it's not so much of an issue down here on the peninsula, although in the summertime you will see a, a few birds that come mm. here to spend the summer mm. and then they go away again, but... But by and large, the vast majority of bird species here you'll see all the year round. Yeah. We have on our place, because we've got a horse and it does poo on the poops everywhere, and the little, in winter, the little, like a flame robin. Yes, that's sits one. Sits on the poo and just like looks around and picks off maybe insects on the That's sure correct. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, I, and it flies off somewhere, you know, and I just think, you know, there's just all these seasonal things that I just, I mean, seasons are fantastic. Right now we're in spring and in flowers. And, but there is bird seasons too, isn't there? There are, definitely, yeah. Well, yeah. That, that example you gave of the flame robin, the flame robin um, lives uh, in its uh, in the summertime and breeding season is up in the hills and mountains. So it comes down from the, uh, the ranges in the wintertime and you'll get a uh, few of them come down to the peninsula. Yeah. So it's worth looking out for them. They like to perch on the, the, the fences. Yeah. And you'll just see this little bright flash of um, orangey red there. And you say, you know, it's orangey I see it at different times when it's cloudy and it's just, it's not as interesting. And when the sun comes out on these colours, sometimes you think this is, I don't want to show people on a cloudy day, I want them to see how beautiful this bird is. Well, the other time too is the onset of breeding season, the males oh, have got fresh plumage on. Mm. So they're absolutely brilliant to Do look you think it's them. a bit discriminatory that the males are so attractive and the females, I mean, I, if I was a female, Female blue wren, I'd be very annoyed because I'm not even blue. Why are you calling me a blue wren? You know, <laughs> seems a bit sexist or something, don't you think? Well, <laughs> is that in your book? Now, no, no, it's not. No. Further about your book, though. So, is there finally is there like the the, the purpose has it done its job or is it an ongoing process possibly? Or like you said before, there's there's still a demand. People still ask yeah. if they can get the, a copy yeah. of the book and hopefully one day a, a second edition will come yeah. out. But yeah. that being said, um, there's always that interest and people want to get out there and have a look at for birds. They want to get started. They can either join the club or they can get themselves a little uh, guide and it that is, sort of thing. And, and it is something that's on if you're on the Mornington Peninsula, I'd be getting that book. 
first up because it's a book, boy, you know, that birds – I've got my guidebook there. It's got a lot of birds there that I'll never see because they're in interstate and, you know, unless I go to that state, I won't see yeah. them. With your book, you did the editing. What does that mean? Like what's the difference between an editor and the author? We had a small team of people that worked on it, so there was about five or so people that got together in the, uh, the branch and um, I was basically the guy who just coordinated everything and made sure that it all got through. And, yeah. and Is that a lot of man hours? Yes, a fair number. Yeah. But uh, with a team, it, it goes much easier if you, know, you pump, pass it out the work to people to do. You know, I had one lot uh, checking all the text and making sure that the English was right and the bird lists were okay and all this sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So it was a bird club collaboration. Yes. Yep. Yes. That's right. And that's the final product, which is brilliant, which we've got in front of us. And um, Larry won't let me have it. It's his copy. Exactly. (laughs) So our job is to get more copies. (laughs) So, Larry, the last couple of years, we've been like in lockdown or 18 months. We've been in because there's virus that's been going around. I don't know if you noticed. I've noticed, yes. Well, has that reintroduced me to birds? Like I had... I've had bird books and stuff all my life and now I am really tuned into them. And I say tuned in because, I don't know, I just don't see birds very well in trees and stuff like that, but I hear them, you know, I sleep with the window open and I can hear birds and I'm listening for birds and I'm I'm noticing I'm listening for birds that aren't there. I'm going, where's, why am I, why aren't I hearing this bird, you know? And um, I'm listening for sounds and I know the sounds but I can't join them all up. Like I know a pigeon and an owl and the basic ones but there's lots of birds there that I don't know and I haven't got the capacity to learn. I am just feel as though, you know, my mind doesn't work that way. But uh, has it changed you much in the last 18 months? Has it given you a chance to be a better birdie? Um. Not really because... Uh, the limitations. For the five-kilometre radius around your house. Yeah, I didn't know. There's not a lot you can do. But yeah. that being said, you do actually um, see um, all sorts of interesting things happening. Like the during the lockdown, um, with my five-kilometre radius, I could get down to uh, Safety Beach. Safety Beach is uh, tucked in. North of, north of Dramana. There was a dredging operation going on yeah. there um, because they were, you've got the marina at the back of yeah. uh, Safety Beach there and they were doing some dredging and the pipe was dumping all the material back up onto the beach and lo and behold there was something like uh, 500 silver gulls there uh. just um, catching all the bits and pieces that were coming up with uh, the fresh dredgings. Yeah. And that was fascinating to watch, yeah. yeah. So you so pick something out there. Oh, look, I love my 5K and if they if they hadn't lifted the lockdowns, I was going to do podcasts about people's 5Ks, you know. I think you got to love your 5Ks if you can be near the bush and that's where it was great for me. But um, I was wondering about you because you probably go all around the peninsula and you couldn't get to certain areas. Well, couldn't get off the peninsula either, so... <laughs> Yeah, but your your book is about the peninsula. Oh yes, so yes, you didn't need right. to, <laughs> evidently. Uh, so, so what is the status of birds on the peninsula? Like, uh, is it a good position we're in now? Was it better in the past? Is it going to be better in the future? How do you see all this? Uh, that's a difficult question to answer, really. Yeah, I suppose the best way to say it is that at any particular point in time, there is uh, a community of birds anywhere. 
and uh, it does change. And depending on how the habitat's changing or the environment's changing, then then you'll see things happening to a greater or lesser degree. But you've got um, an environment on the peninsula, say prior to uh, humans arriving here, and it would have changed gradually over time. The vegetation would have changed and the like, and uh, mosaics would have changed. And then with uh, human beings arrived, arriving, then you would see things changing as they uh, had an impact on it. And significant changes have occurred, of course, with the arrival of Europeans when they came in and started to farm and, uh, and the like. Would that have been as significant as, say, the last 10 years with the development uh, the, sig- the, sort of the really significant changes would have occurred um, in the 19th century when people started to settle on the land here and uh, develop farms and the like. So um, the mosaic then changed significantly. There would have been greater swaths of uh, native vegetation throughout the whole peninsula and uh, then uh, that was cut down and farms were formed and that sort of thing. So... And those birds, would we be lost birds or would they just be somewhere else in Victoria or Australia, those Yes, birds? yes, yes. So you'll find those birds somewhere else in... Uh, but we've lost them. To a degree, to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. But there would have been a group of birds that certainly are st- staying here on the peninsula mm. and some of the rarer ones have disappeared over, over the decades. And, and with the recent development, like... We've got Melbourne sort of sprawling into the peninsula. Is that going to be something that is going to limit bird life or do some birds will flourish maybe in, in, in that different environment? My view is the spread of uh, urban Melbourne certainly will make the Mornington Peninsula more like an island, so it's more difficult for some of the less mobile birds to move around. So that, that certainly will happen. There's it, it, a lot of, like, for instance, you know, I feel blessed when I see two eagles or four eagles fly over, you know, Arthur's seat where I live and I'm always looking out for them and looking out for the shadow and listening for all the birds screaming out, here they come, here they come. Next episode, Nick and Larry will continue their discussions on habitat, introduce birds, how local native birds are adapting to the urban environment and why some species are now dominating in these altered environments. This episode was brought to you by Nichemark, your right-hand team for digital marketing, social media and podcasting. Thinking of starting a podcast? You do the talking, we do the tech. Contact Nichemark to get started. Mm-hmm.